Hear God's word from Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through chapter 3, verse 6. One Sabbath, he, that is Jesus, was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? to save life or to kill. But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. The topic of the Sabbath is not a popular one to discuss. It's entirely inconvenient. It is difficult. It's confusing sometimes. We wish God would give us more clarity. But what I want us to see today is that Sabbath rest is a blessing, a gift. It should not be a chore. We've made it a dreadful chore at times. And in some senses, if we look around at culture, we realize we are longing for rest. We feel like we're in an endless cycle of labor and we can't break out. When are we going to catch a break? We're beaten down. We're on the brink of burnout. Maybe you don't know if you can get yourself out of bed tomorrow. We're frail and we have limits. Yet so often when we hear the offer of rest on Sundays, we turn it into a debate over the logistics of what is or isn't allowed. Are we allowed to eat out? Do Sundays count when we're on vacation? Can I do what I want to do on Sundays or do I have to go to church? These are the wrong questions. We're naturally making ourselves Pharisees about the Lord's Day. And we've turned it into a chore. Let us not forget the Sabbath is a rich blessing, a balm for the soul. It's a weekly taste of the very rest we cry out for in our deepest longings, yet so often refuse to take. This whole debate that Jesus gets into here with the Pharisees stems from Exodus chapter 20. 
So keep a finger in Mark, but let's flip back to Exodus 20 for just a moment. Exodus 20, you, you may know, is the Ten Commandments. It's where God gives the moral law to Moses and to Israel. The fourth of the Ten Commandments is about the Sabbath. The Sabbath for the Jews was on Saturday, ceasing from labor, and it moved to Sunday for Christians because Jesus rose from the dead on on a Sunday. And so it became our day of celebration and feasting over Christ's resurrection. But let's listen to Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11, and the original giving of the fourth commandment. God says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. When we read a passage like that, the debate over what constitutes work has been dominant, and that's exactly what the Pharisees were going on about. Our questions, however, ought to be more comprehensive. Whose day is this? How is it blessed if the Lord has blessed this day? And how holy can we keep it? Here's a little pre-application before we really dive in. We have to remember the Christian life is not about how immoral we can be without plummeting into hell. The question of the Christian life is how much can we embrace and pursue the blessed Savior? How holy can we be? How much can we exalt Him in His glory? And how much can we enjoy all that he abundantly gives to us? How much can we glorify God and enjoy him forever? So we're going to look at two approaches to Sabbath. We're going to see Sabbath striving at first, and then we're going to see Sabbath resting. Sabbath striving and Sabbath resting. Sabbath striving. The Pharisees were good at this. The Pharisees made themselves lords of the Sabbath. And so then our jobs became to serve the Sabbath. The job of man then was to strive for God's acceptance by our religiosity, by being as perfect as we can. The Sabbath was one of two things that defined the nation of Israel. They had circumcision and they have Sabbath, and those two things set them apart from the rest of the nations. And so if they failed to keep the Sabbath, they would fail to be the people of God, so they thought. The Sabbath became a means of earning God's approval. So practically, what the Pharisees did is they set up as many rules as possible to prevent us from breaking a single rule. So you have one rule, and they would set up a hundred rules around it, like a fence, so that we don't ever actually get to breaking the rule. So, for example, this type of thing, like climbing a tree, is a type of thing that would not be permitted on the Sabbath for the Jews. Because if you climb a tree, you might break a twig or a branch. And to separate a twig or a branch from the tree resembles reaping, which is work. So therefore, you cannot climb a tree on the Sabbath. 
That is exactly the issue that Jesus and his disciples are facing here with the Pharisees. They say, why are they plucking heads of grain on the Sabbath? That's reaping, that's work. There is specific provision that those who are sojourning are allowed to glean from the edges of fields. That was not the issue. The issue is that they were plucking heads of grain on the Sabbath. The heart behind this approach to the Sabbath is a heart of fear. This is a heart of trying to do enough good and to avoid enough evil to be acceptable before God. And Jesus identifies this as hard hearts in the second passage tonight. So you and I have to look at ourselves and figure out where have we, where do we know that our hearts are not accurately and fully pursuing Christ? And where are we setting up other rules that make us feel good about the way we live so that we think we're pleasing God? What games in life are you winning when you compare yourself to other people? In what ways are other people inferior to you? These are the games that don't matter. These are the games that don't earn us any standing before God. They just, it's our way of trying to make us feel good about ourselves. In our second story, we see a similar approach from the Pharisees. They again had all these laws set up. They say, you can help somebody on the Sabbath if they might die without your help. So, if somebody is bleeding profusely, you can bind the wound because they might die. But if they break their bone, you can't set it. That can wait till tomorrow. They won't die. So Jesus... He knows what's going on. He walks into a trap that the Pharisees have set up. Look at verse 2. They watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. A withered hand, that is not life-threatening. He's had it for a long time. You can wait. And Jesus says, he gets to the heart of what's going on with the Pharisees. He says, which one is lawful, to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? What he's doing is he's identifying where the Pharisee's heart is. Are the Pharisees doing good or doing harm right now? They're trying to trap Jesus. They're doing harm. And you've seen five conflicts here. We had three a couple months ago, and now we see conflicts four and five in our text today. And at the very end, after these these confrontations, what is the Pharisee's decision on this Sabbath in verse six? They decide to destroy Jesus. Now, who is doing works of evil on the Sabbath? They seek to destroy the Savior. The Pharisees refuse to see. They cannot see that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. And he declares it right here between these two passages. And he calls them out and he says, you even have a provision that if a sheep falls into a pit, you can pull it out. But a man with a withered hand, you can't help him. Jesus says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. Your mode of determining what's right and wrong, your Jewish law system, it was called halakha. Jesus refused to engage in that. He said, that whole system is wrong. I am Lord of the Sabbath. And so he helps people in need and he acts mercifully. Neither of those is breaking the heart of the Sabbath. It's only breaking this pharisaical Sabbath. 
the Pharisees tried to commandeer the Sabbath. You and I do the same thing. We try to make it about us, about what we can accomplish, what, what might promote us. But hear me say this. There is no other Lord of the Sabbath that can make the Sabbath a blessing. The rest of us make the Sabbath a trap. We make it condemnation. We make it further laws that we can't keep. Only Jesus, as Lord of the Sabbath, can make the Sabbath a blessing. Let's look at what that means. That means we're not Sabbath striving like the Pharisees were. Jesus, as he steps in and confronts them, says, we are about Sabbath receiving. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Our role is to exercise the faith that he gives us and to receive his perfection. Jesus knew what the fourth commandment meant in its entirety, and he kept it perfectly. Guess what? When God looks at you, And when God looks at me, if we are in Christ, he sees perfect Sabbath keeping. And it's not just what can I do, what can't I do. This is a matter of the heart. Jesus was asked to summarize. Well, I'll put it this way. Jesus summarized the Ten Commandments for us with two commands. And they are both heart commands. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you look at the Ten Commandments, commandments 1, 2, 3, and 4 are how we love the Lord our God. Commandments 5 through 10 are how we love our neighbor. This is an issue of loving God. We don't love God with our time. We don't love God with our Sabbaths every week. We fail. Even if we do all the right things by the pharisaical standards, we still fail because we saw the Pharisees fail as they sought to kill with all their perfect Sabbath keeping. Jesus loved the Lord with all his heart, soul, and mind, and he did it perfectly. And so you and I can receive on this Sabbath rather than strive on this Sabbath. And when we receive what Jesus has done, there's a reward that comes with that. Hebrews talks about it. We get to enter God's rest. This is a place of seeing God face to face, of living fully in all that he has done and experiencing the greatness of what it means to be God's child who is declared righteous, who is given eternal life. We get to enter that rest fully and eternally because of what Jesus has done. That's no longer Sabbath striving. That's receiving And so now we move into the second part, which is Sabbath resting. I like the Westminster Confession of Faith's definition of faith is receiving and resting upon Christ alone for salvation. So against the Pharisees, which, I mean, their way can't earn you salvation. So we receive Christ instead. Now what do we do? We rest in Christ. That's what the Sabbath is for. Most of the Christians' discussion about the Sabbath ought to be about after we have accepted Christ. Because here is where we really receive the blessings. When we are Sabbath resting, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. We rest in and celebrate what God has done on our behalf. Jesus paid it all, and we rest in that. We enjoy him forever because of what he has accomplished. Now, there are Christians who do not think that the Sabbath still applies. For the reason that, Jesus fulfilled it. I mean, you heard me just say, Jesus fulfilled the Sabbath. So does that mean that it's no longer applicable? I would disagree with our brothers who say this. 
Just because Jesus fulfilled the Sabbath doesn't mean that it no longer applies. This is one of God's moral laws. We don't have nine commandments. We have ten. Jesus fulfilled all ten. We don't, what, what if we threw out the others just because Jesus fulfilled them? These are still binding, not to earn us salvation, but as a response to being in Christ. These are the ways that we live, and they still point us to what Christ has accomplished for us, and they guide us in how to live as a Christian now that we have become Christians. The Sabbath does still apply. God is still offering rest in the Sabbath. It says in the Ten Commandments, God blessed the day and made it holy. Just because Jesus fulfilled it doesn't mean that it's no longer holy. In fact, it's more holy. It's the day on which he rose and conquered evil. So as we're resting on the Sabbath, let's remember our role is to rest in and celebrate what God has done on our behalf. Let's remember to enjoy him forever. That's why worship services are designed as they are. It's a way of our interacting with, receiving what God has done, responding and receiving what he has done, resting in what he's done and receiving. I remember when I first started attending Redeemer Church seven years ago, I had a bad week. I sinned. And yet when the Lord's Supper was offered to me, it didn't say if you were above average in your holiness this week, you may come to the table. Statement was, if you are in Christ and you are bound to, his, to the body of Christ, you are his and this is yours. I got to rest that day, even though I had failed again and again, because Christ did it all. So what do we do on Sundays? We need to rest in what Jesus has done. Practically, this is a decided change in rhythm from the work week. This is for the sake of worshiping God, of giving glory where it is due, of receiving gifts that, they, that have been given to us, receiving and embracing the rest that he offers to us, and intentionally ceasing from building our earthly kingdoms. We are all in pursuit of building our little sandcastle kingdoms. We get to stop from that one day a week and look at the real kingdom and take hope from that. It's a day that we worship. It's a day that we do acts of, of necessity and acts of mercy. Now, that's what our Westminster Confession of Faith also says, that permissible on the Sabbath are works of necessity and works of mercy. Because that comes exactly from our passages here. Jesus highlighted as he's talking about David and the men in need who went and ate the bread of the presence. They are men in need who are hungry, Jesus says. He, he emphasizes that they are in need and they are hungry. Just like his disciples were in need and were hungry on the Sabbath, plucking the heads of grain. If there is a need, that is totally in line with what is allowable on the Sabbath. That is proper for the Sabbath. We need medical professionals in the hospitals on Sundays because emergencies happen. We need people preparing food for those who travel or for other means can't prepare food. We need first responders. And there are other roles that are absolutely needful. And these are consistent with Jesus' acts of helping those who, are need, who have needs. And these are proper. And I'm not going to give you a list of here's what's allowable and here's what's not. And then we end up being Pharisees again. But here's a guiding rule. If, if you can't prepare beforehand to get it done before Sunday so that you can focus on worship on Sunday, and you can't push it off until Monday, then it might be an issue of need. And it's permissible. Also, what is permissible is our acts of mercy on Sundays. 
Jesus did a merciful deed for this man with a withered hand. Acts of service, we can engage in those. We can uh, be involved with Christian ministries, generosity, promoting life. These are consistent with what the Sabbath is about. I like the way J.C. Ryle puts it. He says, whatever is necessary to preserve and maintain life, whether of ourselves or of the creatures, or to do good to the souls of men, may be done on the Sabbath day without sin. There's a lot of freedom in that. So as we rest on the Sabbath, we're resting from work. Why do we rest from work? Well, it helps us discipline ourselves. Shows that we really we are willing to put aside our concerns and seek God's glory first over our worldly kingdoms. It means we may cease from our unnecessary business transactions because we choose by the Spirit to set our minds on something much greater today. The eternal transaction of grace. It means that we're ceasing from unnecessary physical labor because we, by the Spirit, choose to set our bodies and our minds in the hands of the Creator who Himself rested on the seventh day. And we also get to rest from self-indulgence. This is confusing sometimes. I've wrestled with this over the years. Well, if, if I'm stopping my work, can't I just go do whatever I want to do, whatever's going to be the most fun, whatever's easy? Can I just go binge-watch stuff? Well, if we self-indulge, it's no longer God's day, is it? He's no longer Lord of the Sabbath. Now it's our day, and we've just cycled right back to the same problem the Pharisees were in, making it their day. If we can rest from our self-indulgence, we're indicating that today is not ours. It's not The Sabbath is not ours to com- consume or abuse. When Jesus says the Sabbath is made for man, it doesn't mean it's man's to abuse. It doesn't mean it's man's for his sinful desires. It is for man's soul. I've often erred towards self-indulgence on Sunday, and so let's warn ourselves and be aware of that tendency to not just go and do fun things and lazy things without any spiritual benefit. It's also good to cease from other normal social activities, but engage in Christian, Christian fellowship, eat together, feast together. In some seasons, I've just put my cell phone away. For all of Sunday. That's a great break from the craziness of, of uh, attention and, and the tr- normal communication and transactions and helps set our sights on things that are above. So that's some of what not to do. But where we really understand how the Sabbath is for us, I want to focus on the rich celebration and the balm for the weary soul that is given to every believer on, on the Sabbath. This is how we discover how the Sabbath is really and truly for us in our souls for eternity. When we're stopping from all these other labors, we can finally begin to see what has been positively done for us. Listen to what has happened, and we remind ourselves of this every Sunday in worship and throughout the day. God set his love on sinners for man that we might live. God created covenantal relationships for man that we might be with him. God designed salvation for man that we might be reconciled to him. God fought against the spiritual forces of darkness for man that we might be victors because of the battle he fought. 
Jesus imputed his righteousness for man that we might have good standing before God through faith in him. Let our Sundays be days where we celebrate this and we feast on this. We go in and we enjoy the beautiful creation and let our minds run right back to the creator as we see his creation. Let's enjoy food. It's not a day for fasting. This is a day of celebrating the life that we have. It's a day for focusing on all these spiritual truths that I just listed and more. And let's talk about it. Let's get together with believers and talk about what God has done. Let's worship together. We know that if we were given a, no accountability and full reign to do whatever we want on the Sabbath, we would waste it. Let's not put any other focus in the way of seeing the beauty of Jesus on Sundays besides a joyous resting in Christ's completed work. If we don't look at Christ on Sundays, and we don't give the time to him, that's an anemic Sabbath at best. But at worst, it's a slap in the face to a God who's extending rest. Let's look and see if some of these might be our heart conditions with Sabbaths. And when I say we, I mean we, myself included. Do you see yourself in any of these that I'm about to say? Is this the heart behind our actions? Do we say, well, the Sabbath is for me, so I will continue my job so that I might accumulate more wealth, which will fade. Since the Sabbath is for me, I'm going to keep my business open so that I can sell more stuff, which will rust. Since the Sabbath is for me, I will indulge in self-care so that I can feel better about myself and then return to despair tomorrow. Since the Sabbath is about me, I'm going to work out. I'm going to build an attractive image that's not going to last more than a few years. Since the Sabbath is for me, I'm going to get ahead on my homework or catch up on what I failed to do this week that I might get, a, get better grades and build my resume and build my kingdom that will one day collapse. One of the most helpful ways to approach this that I've heard, and now this is not 100% widely applicable to every situation, but it's a, it was a helpful guiding rule for me when I was in school. If it can't be done in six days, it doesn't need to be done. If God can create the whole universe in six days and rest on the seventh, we can rest in what he has done on that seventh day. Brothers and sisters, there is time for this good work, for these things that God has given us, for our jobs, for our businesses, for taking care of our bodies, for doing our tasks. But one day in seven is the Lord's, and it is a blessed gift. It is a gift for us to receive that we might remember what he has done and consciously rest. And my last point, resting on the Sabbath is a training ground. It trains us. It trains us to continue to grow in sanctification by putting aside what we want and focusing on what Jesus has done. It reminds us that we need to deny ourselves. We are not the driving forces in our lives. And sometimes we just have to make ourselves do it because we don't feel like it. And then we will see that there are blessings. Now, if you're not in the habit of Sabbath rest, it's not going to be perfect 
ever, but especially not the first time. It takes time to learn. We have to train ourselves in what it's like to put aside our desires and see the gospel exalted more and more. It's also training for being in God's presence for eternity. The 10-year-old boy who was dissatisfied with his $10 weekly allowance is the same one who is dissatisfied with his $100,000 salary at 30 years old. If we cannot in few things be grateful, we won't be grateful with much. If we cannot learn to give God one day in seven, how are we going to bear his presence for eternity? We are training ourselves to be in his presence, to revel in his glory, to receive the completion of what he has done for us, and to set aside our meager strivings. And it's also training for how to live before a watching world. The world sees us, and they see that we can stop and confidently and joyfully celebrate one day a week. That's something the world does not understand because they're constantly striving and working and getting and gaining and self-promoting. But they'll see us resting and say, what is that? I need that rest. And now that I have a child in this world, it makes me think, is Elliot going to know that the Sabbath is special? Or is it just going to be another day with church in it? Our time is God's. Sunday is our way to show that. People are watching. Children are being trained. We are being trained. Let us be people who rest. The world can't do that. Let us be people who admit that we have to stop who embrace the goodness of our God one day in seven so that the other six might also be transformed into a life of worship. Let's rest in the completed work of Jesus, brothers and sisters.